Welcome to Illumin America, a podcast created by the U.S. Baha'i Office of Public Affairs. Hi, everyone. My name is James Samimi Farr. Welcome to the fifth episode of our show, which explores constructive approaches to some of America's most challenging social issues. Today on the show, our race discourse officers, P.J. Andrews and May Lample, are having a conversation with Danita Hardin. Born and raised in Washington, D.C., Danita Hardin is a community builder, an educator, a teacher, and a member of the Baha'i faith living in Northern Virginia. This episode is the first of a two-part conversation, and PJ and May will be talking to Danita about her work in the community-building processes of the Baha'i faith and her efforts through them to build environments of empowerment and counteract oppression. Danita, I'm so happy you could join us today and look forward to the conversation. Maybe just to kind of get us started, you could just introduce yourself and sort of describe who you are in relation to, you know, in the Baha'i community building process. I know you're sort of embedded in a community right now, and maybe you could share a little bit about, you know, the the nature of that community and the work that you're doing there. I'm Danita Hardin. So happy to be here to be able to share with my friends May and PJ. I am working in a neighborhood in Virginia that is a beautiful, diverse mixture of of individuals. Um, It has a large African-American population, and there are also many immigrants in this neighborhood. And there's been community building work going on in this neighborhood for, for several years. And after some time, it was really recognized that you know, in order for this work to go deeper and for the the inhabitants really of this neighborhood to be able to move to the forefront of the community building activities, that it would be beneficial for someone to go and live there. And that someone ended up being me, which was, I just, I just feel is one of the most wonderful things that has, you know, really happened to me because through living in this neighborhood side by side with those that we're learning together. So this process of community building is not one that takes place with, uh, you know, someone. I think it best happens when the people who are doing it are experiencing their reality together. And so this was just a wonderful opportunity for us to grow as neighbors, grow as friends, grow as collaborators, grow as co-workers, and grow as community builders in this neighborhood. Thanks. Maybe for like the first question that's coming to mind for me is something that you shared at another gathering that we were we were at together, where you talked about how in society and I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of in society, we're very good at enabling environments of oppression, and so much of the environment that we live in America is oppressive, but that your experience with the institute process and with the people that you're working with is that it is a tool that enables environments of empowerment. So maybe it could be nice to just hear a little bit about your thoughts around the difference between an environment of oppression and an environment of empowerment. One thing that I have really seen is that the capacity to have conversations with others is a capacity that doesn't have to take a long time to develop. But it is an important capacity to have in order to move this community building process forward. I think that 
you know, I, I was a school teacher for many years, for more than 20 years. And one thing that I noticed immediately when a parent of color would come into my classroom is that they would be shocked when I would ask them about what they wanted for their kids. You know, what did they desire? What did they want their kids to learn? What were some of the things that were important to them? So I think that one of the things that this institute process offers is that it gives everyone in the community an opportunity to express themselves. And it gives them a language with which to do it that really equalizes everyone in the community and in the neighborhood, and it does it swiftly. It doesn't take years and years before people feel like they are able to express themselves. You know, really, I think the only thing that could hold individuals back is maybe those who have moved into the neighborhood, not really having belief and faith in the capacity of those that are that are native to the neighborhood. So, you know, I've seen just in a very short period of time, children from the children's class engaging in conversations with their families and with their classmates, with their teachers, with their friends in the neighborhood and describing the things that they've learned, uh, whether it's as simple as them talking about what it means to be generous or what it means to be honest, or the fact that they, you know, had heard in this class that they, you know, they had shown kindness, but feeling empowered to be able to say these things that maybe before they didn't either have the vocabulary or the opportunity to even describe these things to each other. I've seen parents who had participated in devotional gatherings describing the feeling that they felt when they were engaged in in collective worship to their friends and then feeling very comfortable and confident within a very short period of time inviting their friends also to join them in prayer and not being concerned actually at all about uh, whether the friend was, you know, Christian or Muslim or whatever, even what the response of the friend was going to be, just that they had this now, this confidence and this ability to, to really express themselves. And I think that that is a huge difference in, you know, an environment that's oppressive as opposed to an environment that's empowering people feeling free and feeling that they can say what they think and what they feel and feeling like they are going to be heard. You know, not only that, but actually that their opinion is important to this process. Their opinion and their thoughts are important to the movement of the entire community. And that this is something that if they are not only a part of, but if they're, they need to be at the forefront of this. And I think that it just really has transformative impact on individuals and on families when they start to feel the power of being heard. Yeah, so I think that that's kind of like my, just like a few initial thoughts and a few initial observations. There's one particular young lady, her name is Najee, and I can just remember her talking about, we were were finishing up with a children's class uh, in the neighborhood, and I remember she said, Miss Danita, I need my own prayer book. So, of course, I, I gave her a prayer book. And when I went to go get her for the children's class the next week, the mom started telling me how she said, Miss Danita, why did you give that girl that prayer book? That girl has been up all night (laughs) for days and days. You know, I can't get her to sleep because all she wants to do is read these prayers over and over again. And then when she's not reading the prayers, she's singing the songs. 
So I asked Najee, I was like, what are you, you know, why, why, you know, I know you love the prayers because we would always like sing the songs and say the prayers and practice. But I was just kind of wondering like, what was her motivation for like, really like all night, like going through them and studying and trying to, trying to learn them. And then she was like, you know, that, that prayer gathering that you have, I want to have my own. And so she was really actually trying to prepare herself for, for inviting her friends and her family, um, you know, to have a prayer gathering in their own home. And so really, this was the first time that she had felt this confidence and this comfort and this, you know, and her ability to reach out to friends and family and invite them not only to, to come to her home, but invite them to engage in something that she felt would have a transformative impact on their lives. And she, at that moment, became the protagonist, right? Right. She became actively involved in this community building process. She was you know, not just a participant in one of the activities, but she saw that actually, you know what, I can play an active role. And not only can I play an active role, but actually at the end of her devotional gathering, she invited all of the people that were there to host their own devotional gatherings. So, you know, she really saw that this, this is a process that we all can actively take a part in. And I feel like because that environment was created where people felt free, number one, to express themselves, where their thoughts were heard and listened to and acknowledged, but also in addition to that, they were immersed in the word of God, right? Because we really know that there have been many, many things in in neighborhoods and in communities and in countries and uh, in states all over the world that have been tried but really have been unsuccessful in in removing really the chains of oppression from individuals, from communities. But we really see that this immersion really in the word of God is really what begins to have this transformative effect. And I think the transformation is the thing that, that helps people to continue, you know, like motivation will get you started. But motivation is not going to give you the the same type of movement, the the ability to persevere and push through really difficult challenges. See, I can be really motivated to do almost anything. I could tell my kids right now, you know, I'll give you a dollar if you go and you clean the bathroom really well. And then for that day, they'll be really, really motivated. In fact, I can be honest, it happened that like a few weeks ago that I decided just because we're, we're stuck here in the house that I would have a contest to see who could have the cleanest bedrooms, you know, for that week. And so, you know, I told the kids who ever had the cleanest bedroom at the end of the week, that team would get a certain amount of money to split between them. And for that week, the bedrooms were spotless. <laughs> but what do you think happened the following Monday <laughs> when the contest was over? There were socks all over the floor, <laughs> you know, so it went back sort of to the same, the same thing. And so that's the difference between like motivation and transformation. If my kids knew that cleanliness is something that God desires for them, if they read quotes and prayers and it was, you know, deeply ingrained in their hearts, you know, this, this thought of like service to their family and how important it is. So that, that's what we started to talk about, like how important it is for us to be of service to our family. And when we're doing things around the, the home, like this is a service. And so then I, we start, I started to see them regularly, just going without my even asking. In fact, 
one of my uh, my foster sons was downstairs today and he was just like, auntie, do you want to see the bathroom? It's sparkling clean. And I didn't even have to ask. And so this is, you know, in a, in a larger context, right, within a community, when we start to see, you know, first individuals who are engaged in these activities and the children's classes and in the junior youth groups and the study circles and the devotional gatherings. And so first they encounter the word of God. But then after a time, like really these words begin to penetrate their hearts and then their very being is transformed. And so after a while, you don't have to tell people like, why don't we stop throwing trash on the street? Because they start to see themselves and the people around them. They start to see that we're noble beings and we shouldn't live in the neighborhood where there's trash on the street. And so these things begin to change themselves, right? When your spirit and your heart is, are transformed, then you begin to see how should, if, if this is how I feel inside, then right, what is the, how should things be looking around me? I should also be careful about the, the words that I say because maybe the, the way that I'm expressing myself could be damaging and harmful to other people. Maybe it would be helpful if I invited other kids to this, these classes and these children's classes, because I see the impact that it's having on my children. And so now, you know, we're, we get phone calls from, from other parents that we haven't even met yet who also want their children to be, you know, engaged in these children's classes. And so I think that that's another aspect of this community building process that is so beautiful, but also so unique and something that we've really never seen in the history of mankind. And I think that this is really one of the, the keys to its effectiveness and then its ability to be long lasting and sustain the impact that it's making and, and continue to make a larger and larger impact and you know impact more and more individuals, more and more communities and eventually impact all of society. You wrote a really beautiful narrative of sort of what's happened in this community over the last, you know, the first eight months of you sort of living there. And um, I'm going to refer a little bit to it, but maybe throughout our conversation, but just one thing that as you were just, you were just talking that came to mind was you mentioned a lot like patterns of thought and action, patterns of, of behavior that were like emerging and growing in the community. And so I guess like, it might be helpful to describe um, like w what are the patterns of life that you feel like you're, you're trying to foster. And then maybe a, a connected question is sort of like, what is your vision for the community? And then where do you get that vision? And then how does that vision become everyone's vision mm -hmm. and not your vision? I, I love this idea of building protagonists, you know, the community being at the forefront. And then there's this idea of, you mentioned in your, in your narrative about the movement of populations as sort of part of your vision. Yeah. So that's an interesting question, like my vision for the community. And it's hard for me to answer it without really talking a little bit about the neighborhood that I grew up in, in Washington, D.C. And, you know, this was in the 80s. And, you know, it was in the middle, really, of the crack cocaine epidemic. And at one point, the conditions in the neighborhood had gotten really just like so bad 
that there was actually a tank, a real actual tank from the National Guard parked on the corner of my neighborhood. And I just like remember this vision of like going to the corner store to get a bag of chips and diagonally across the corner, there was a tank there with the actual like gun, (laughs) you know, like the long gun pointed there to enforce this curfew that had been put on the, the neighborhood so that we could try to cut down on some of the violence. And then I remember my mom saying she grew up during the you know Vietnam War era and she doesn't remember going to as many funerals as I had gone to as I was you know in my teenage years. So really, I think as an African-American woman who grew up in a neighborhood like this, and somehow, you know, by the grace of God, was able to, because of many, many prayers, lots of love, <laughs> but also because I never had any doubt that I was supposed to be able to accomplish something. And I wonder, you know, often like what it was. Like, of course, I've, I've sat back and I've reflected because obviously my story is it's not the same as many people's stories that grew up in that neighborhood. Like many people ended up incarcerated and many people didn't make it past their 14th or 15th birthday. And so like what was so different that happened in my life as opposed to what happened in their lives? And one of the things that really I think was different is that I always had a vision. I always knew that there was something great (laughs) that I was supposed to be doing, that there was something bigger than myself that I was supposed to be a part of. And the reason I knew that is because by the grace of God, you know, I had a mother that told me that all the time. So my vision really for the community that I live in now is that every single member of that community has a vision. So my vision for the, for the community can't possibly ever be just my vision. <laughs> because the second that I tell you what my vision is for the community, I think we lose sight of really what this community building process is. My vision for the community is that every single member of the community has a vision. And that at some point, the members of that community have the opportunity and the space to come together, to collectively share that vision. And then as a community, we create a vision for ourselves. Not my vision, not your vision, not, you know, not the Baha'i vision, not the Christian vision, not this vision or that vision, but the vision for this community in light of the study and the immersion of the word of God, in light of the, this, this transformation that's taken place in our hearts, in light of us being human beings, in light of us realizing that justice is deserved, in light of us feeling like that we can and should be able to express our thoughts freely, I think that that is really my vision for the community. And from that, many things might emerge. I was with a junior youth group you know, in person before we could not meet in person. And we were talking about like some of the needs of the community. 
And so the junior youth group, we started to just list some of the challenges that we see in the community. And so one of the things that we saw is that a lot of the the younger kids are are struggling with certain subjects and math just happened to be one of the particular subjects that that seemed to be a struggle. And so we talked about like what, what it is that we could do to to assist with that, uh, with that challenge. And of course, you know, like the junior youth spontaneously just said, like, we, we need to have a tutoring, you know, group, we have to, we have to put together something where the, the, the older, slightly older members of the community are helping the younger members. So maybe the junior youth help the, help the children. And then maybe we reach out to the youth who meet regularly and ask them if they can even help us. (laughs) And if we need to, you know, like go even further than that, uh, we call, you know, talk to some of the parents and talk, you know, like how can the parents support this this process also? But I thought it was just really profound because all of the solutions that they came up with started with them. <laughs> you know, it started with the members of the community. At no point did they say, you know, this isn't something that we can do. You know, it's just too bad. Really sorry this is happening, but oh, well. At no point did they start to blame other people or point the finger at, you know, whose fault it was or, you know, what system wasn't working correctly. They just immediately started to think of solutions and they started to think of people right there within their own communities that they could go to to support the the solutions that they were trying to implement. That also, I feel, is just something that I pray will eventually be a part of really every community, you know, around the world where people see that the resources, many of the resources that they have, that they, they need are right there within their communities. And that when we become unified and where our voices are become strong and our, our hearts become transformed and our spirits become led by God. And certainly through these teachings of, of Baha'u'llah, you know, its most recent manifestation, then we start to feel like we don't have to waste time blaming people. You know, we could, we could spend all day and all year <laughs> worrying about, you know, what the reason is that, that these things are happening. But why not spend a little bit more of the time trying to solve some of these things? And why not try to figure out what we can do right here in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities to try to solve some of these things? It's always so inspiring to have conversations with people like Danita. And I'm so glad that May and PJ were able to talk with her. Be sure to stay tuned for the last half of this conversation, which is coming up in our next episode.